0: What's up? Welcome to Episode 9 of the Rod and Real Podcast. I'm Rod Beard, Pistons Beat Writer for the Detroit News, and of course we're going to hit on the NBA Christmas season for the teams that did not make the playoffs. Some did make the bubble, some did not make the bubble, but the 14 teams who did not make the playoffs found out where they'll be picking in the NBA draft on October 16th and the the results were a little bit puzzling as they always seem to be Uh, the minnesota Wolves came out with the number one pick golden state is second and two teams that jumped up in the lottery charlotte moved up five spots to number three and the bulls moved up three spots to number four which pushed some teams down cleveland went down three spots to five atlanta two spots to six the pistons two spots to seven and the knicks two spots to eight so That's how the top of the lottery would look, and everybody after that just stayed in position. We know what the top of the draft order is going to look like, and obviously Minnesota at the top has the pick of the litter, and at least the initial thought is that they will go Anthony Edwards with that number one pick. So I'll break down some of that draft lottery stuff, also address tanking and and how that impacted the draft lottery this year, and what it looks like for the Pistons moving forward, and then Give some ideas about where the Pistons might go with that seventh pick and who are a couple of names that could be targets for them in that number seven slot. Uh, maybe they trade up, maybe they trade down, maybe they trade out. Who knows? And then finishing up with the second bubble in the NBA's announcement that the teams, the eight teams who did not make the Orlando bubble, will get some relief, will get some opportunity. To uh, to have some play before the season restarts, and then what the next season looks like, because there was some news on that too. So all of those things we'll address in this episode nine. Uh, but first, obviously, want to start with the lottery. Pistons ended up with that seventh pick and started out in position to be in that fifth slot, and they were one of the biggest victims of the season ending early and being suspended, obviously, because of the pandemic on March 11th. They didn't get to finish the season, and they were trending downward they were looking like they were going to move into that bottom three position and be get one of the better odds to get the number one pick in the lottery but everything froze the NBA didn't do anything about the disparate number of games that teams had played Pistons ended up in fifth and even in the lottery telecast the the Pistons new general manager Troy Weaver just kind of looked in disbelief when the camera came to him that the Pistons were announced as the number seven pick, and I think that embodied most of the Detroit sports fan base when it's, okay, even with the five pick, you still move down to seven. And just a little bit of lottery history, the Pistons had been in the NBA lottery 13 times since 1985 when the lottery was instituted. In those 13 times, they actually moved down five times. So make this 14 times and six times that they've moved down with their own pick. And some people might look at that 2003 draft where they picked Darko at number two. That actually wasn't their pick. That was the Vancouver Grizzlies pick uh, in the trade that the Pistons got. And even in 1994, when they got their best draft pick of the lottery era, Grant Hill with the number three pick, that was them dropping down from number two because they entered the lottery with the second worst record and dropped down to three when they picked Grant Hill. So the lottery has not been kind in history to the Pistons at all. But even this year, they had a 10.5% chance of getting that number one pick. And what was worse was they had a 26.7% chance of falling to number seven. Number seven was actually the most likely pick that they would have. And that's just one of my issues with the way the lottery is structured now is, uh, even in the Pistons case, they had a 44% chance of being in the top five. So just keeping their spot or improving their spot a little bit and a 56% chance of falling down and being lower. How is it that if you're one of the, the five worst teams in the league that you have a greater chance of having a lower pick? And partially the math in that is when you're adding up all of the percentages of the lower teams to be able to move up, that those teams, those percentages add up and it just makes more. It, it balances the other way where the top teams are more likely to fall than they are to stay in their their own spot. I think that's where a little bit of this lottery reform can come into play is to give even 10 down. You have a a smaller than 5% chance of being able to go in and get the number one pick. That It it shouldn't be that those teams, and and I know it's all about tanking and making sure that there's some opportunity for equalizing that out a little bit. I think it's something like 1%. For the number 14 team and then it escalates up uh, to the 14 percent for the bottom three teams so they did equalize that part of it out but i think they need to look at the way that maybe those teams either 10 through 14 or maybe even 8 through 14 so half of the team shouldn't have a, a decent chance of getting the number one pick that should should almost be reserved for those teams one through five one through six however you want to slice it. But just the way that those percentages balance out is why those top teams have a greater chance of falling than they do of getting the number one pick. So that's my little rant on that. But uh, even the Pistons in where they ended up, number seven pick isn't so bad. I'll get into some of that a little bit later. But even when the card was revealed and and Troy Weaver kind of had the expression, it was still... you were wondering if the Pistons might be able to move up I thought they had a a decent shot I thought this might be the year that some of the lottery curse gets broken even for the Red Wings who had the worst record and ended up with the fourth pick in the NHL draft that if the Pistons were able to get past seven that they might be able to move up into the top four just wasn't meant to be so picking at seven we'll see what what all of that ends up being so this this transitions well into the tanking talk. And I, I tweeted right about that time that, or I'm not going to say I told you so, to that pro-tanking crowd. And some of this has been miscast. I'm not anti-tanking. A- in general, I don't like tanking as a strategy because it puts a certain imbalance in the league. But that's kind of the way things are going to be, is that there's going to be the haves and the have-nots. You're going to have the Lakers, uh, and, and then you're going to have these other teams and that just don't have a chance. From day one, you know you don't have a chance of winning the championship uh, unless you just come out the gates at 15-0 at and 0 or, or, or really start to set things on fire in the beginning of the season. So the Pistons have, have, for the past few years, have been on that fringe of maybe being a playoff team, maybe being a a team that's right outside of that, the 10th seed, if you will, or the 9th seed. This year, it, it wasn't even close. The Pistons had the fifth-worst record, as I said, 20-46 and 46 when things stopped and they were trending toward probably having the worst record maybe not catching Golden State but certainly having one of the three worst records they were a half game out of that when the season stopped so they fell into that from the purgatory of being just in between of maybe being a 10 seed in the east to now being a team that that needs to rebuild this whole thing And, and there's been widespread acknowledgement of that from Ed Stefanski to Troy Weaver to everybody from Looking at where the Pistons are right now and certainly trading Andre Drummond at the deadline lends to that a little bit more. In terms of tanking, the tweet that I made and and where I am on this is that it doesn't guarantee you anything. And a lot of the more simplistic thinkers will say, hey, you tank, you get a top pick, and that's how this works. Look at what the Cavaliers did. The Cavaliers did have one of the three worst records in the league, and they were feeling like, hey, the worst we can do is fifth. But they had a good chance to get the number one pick, the best chances of getting the number one pick. And that didn't come to fruition. And and I'm not crying for Cleveland. Cleveland's had more number one picks than just about anybody. But the way that the math works and the percentages work and just the, the teams that are tanking, you are doing this to get a top pick, in theory. And when you end up with the number five pick, it's just, yeah, you get another bite at the apple, you get another opportunity to pick a a, a top guy, but why do the Charlottes, why do the Chicagos move up three and five spots to get into that top five ahead of those teams? If you're really going to try to benefit the teams that are really bad and really do need the top players, then teams with a smaller chance should have a really minuscule chance to be able to move up and to get a top five pick. So, I've tossed around some things that maybe the top five teams should redistribute those percentages and get that weighted even a little more. So, maybe the top three teams, instead of a 14% chance, you get a 16% chance. May not be a lot, but you take in total 6% away from those other teams that are below them. So, yeah, some teams are going to move up as a result of the lottery, but two teams moved up in this, which is just a little bit discouraging for teams like Cleveland, Atlanta, the Knicks, the Pistons. The Knicks haven't had lottery luck at all, so this isn't just a Pistons-based suggestion that I'm making. It's just for teams who really need it, then you're having other teams that are leapfrogging them and moving into higher positions. It just seems a little backwards for what you're trying to do, but the lottery itself is a, a television production. It is drawing interest for not just those teams at the very bottom of the league, but it keeps your Chicago's and your Charlotte's interested in what's going on in the lottery. So it's, I can see both sides of it, but at the same time, the lottery is supposed to be for the worst teams. The NFL, albeit playing fewer games, they don't have the same issues with tanking. Those teams are just bad. If they're bad, they're bad, and they're going to lose games, uh, and that's just how that's going to work. I think some teams are just best served to tank, and the Pistons... Where Most people would argue that that's been the case for a number of years because they didn't have a, a direct path forward to being a contender. Even now, the year that they are really bad and that they did lose enough games to, to get into the bottom five in terms of record, they still didn't get rewarded with that, with getting one of those things. We may end up seeing the same thing next year, too, where uh, the Pistons aren't, don't look to be a team that's going to be in that top eight in terms of the playoffs in the East as bad as the East can be sometimes the Pistons don't look to be a team that's going to be in that top eight so you may see another year of them in a more robust draft next year that they may be right in the same spot where they're looking at getting a top five or maybe even a top 10 pick outside of just trying to go for the playoffs again I just don't see them being one of those and that seems to be the case too again a lot of the talk has been about rebuilding and some have argued too that the Pistons waited too late to tank and given the roster construction that they had they still thought they had a a good shot to make the playoffs this year with a healthy Blake Griffin and when he his season ended early everything just sort of went that way and I'm not saying the Pistons were a playoff team this year if at best they were going to be like a six seed or a seven seed and looking at where the east was when you knew that Kevin Durant wasn't playing that there was probably only a seven and eight seed for them to be able to get to anyway and they would need a lot more luck and a lot more help if they were going to make the playoffs and try to make some noise this year so that's just where it is again I'm not a I'm not a pro tanker for everybody but for the teams that just don't have that direct line to being able to make the playoffs such as the Pistons for this coming year it's what you need to do to be able to rebuild because free agency isn't going to do it. Even with free agent uh, cap space this year, they're not going to be able to make the moves that are going to catapult them into being a playoff team this year. So looking at where the Pistons are picking in the seventh slot, I actually don't think it's, it's that bad a thing. Obviously, you want to be picking a little bit higher. You'd love to be picking fifth instead of seventh, but you, you take what you get. And I liked what Troy Weaver's response to that was, is saying... We're not going to cry about it. It's not, woe is us. It really is just, okay, now what do we do with that? What do you do with the seventh pick? And I think it, it stops them from maybe looking at LaMelo Ball as a top choice and James Wiseman that might have been going back down the same road of where they were with Andre Drummond, uh, a lot of the similar skill sets between Wiseman and Drummond, that they're just not going in that same direction again, and they can look at some other guys. But even what Troy Weaver said is there's so much depth in this draft and there's a lot of parity and similar talent when you look at picks 3 through 13. And I think there's something to that. That If point guard is the biggest position of need and they only have Derrick Rose on the roster as an experienced point guard, certainly they need to look at the draft as a, a spot where they can pick up a point guard. And this is a point guard heavy draft that you can get it at different positions you, if you're in that top two or three you can look at lamello ball if you're just below that you can look at killian hayes or tyrese halliburton as options get that point guard position and even below that if you were picking 10 12 15 there's still your rj hampton types in there that would fit with what you're trying to do based off where your position is center might be the other big position of need that justin patton is the only one who signed to the roster for next year that could play some center for you but I don't think he's starting caliber just yet but we'll we'll wait and see so for me I would think the best three prospects for the Pistons to look at in that seven slot are Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton, and Anyeka Okongwu from USC uh, the big man there and Okongwu I'm starting to come around a little bit more on because he's listed at 6-9 but he's more of what the center position is starting to look like if you look at bam out of bayou in miami that he might be a little bit undersized but he plays a little bit bigger than that and that's the read that i'm getting on Akangwu. is that his athleticism makes him not just be 6-9 but maybe play 6-10 6-11 averaging 2.7 blocks a game he's a rim run, runner a rebounder he doesn't quite have the perimeter game yet but he's not going to be the focal point of the offense anyway. So you give him a, a couple of years to grow if you want to do that. But a wouldn't be a terrible pick at number seven. And mock drafts are all over the place where they have some of these prospects going. And I think there might be some trades in the top of the draft too. So it's really hard, really murky in trying to figure out where guys are going to go. But again, at seven, if you get any of those three, a Halliburton or Killian Hayes, I think the Pistons would call this a win for the draft, especially dropping a couple of spots. I've talked about Halliburton before as being maybe the, the top prospect I have for them, especially now with the position, knowing where their position is at number seven. Halliburton being a six-five guard who can play either the point or off a little bit, and he's regarded as one of the best spot-up shooters in this draft. And at 6'5", he's a little bit skinny, and and I'm concerned more about his ability to get in the paint and to score off the dribble in the paint. In reading some of the scouting reports and looking at some video, he doesn't get to the free throw line very often. And I think the Pistons can look at him as a a longer term solid player. Maybe not a home run, but a nice ground rule double, a nice double to the gap. And that's the type of talent that you have to build in drafts like this where there isn't an elite top of it where you're going to get a player that's going to change. This isn't a John Morant. This isn't a Zion Williamson type draft where there are franchise-changing guys right at the top of that. There are solid pieces to this, and I think Halliburton can be one of those guys. Killian Hayes can be sort of the same. He's maybe a better scorer off the dribble a lefty who has the same type of court vision as some of those other guys. And from everything that you read, LaMelo Ball is regarded as the top point guard in this draft. But right after that is is Halliburton and Hayes or Hayes and Halliburton, depending on what you like your point guards to be like. So either one of those would work out. And Killian Hayes is still younger, playing over in Europe. And and how that translates over to what they do in the NBA is going to be interesting to see. So those are my three, and not necessarily in that order. Again, I, I like Halliburton. Okonwu and Hayes, and and that can switch based off the day. But if you're looking at free agency and trying to get what looks to be a point guard or maybe two point guards, if you're thinking that Derrick Rose might get traded at some point this season, the Pistons might have to really delve deep into free agency and try to get uh, some help there. And and we'll talk about that another day, whether you're looking at a, a Fred Van Vliet, as, as some have suggested, or... A DJ Augustine could be another option there that can fill that void and give you just a solid point guard. Again, doesn't have to be a game changer, but just a solid point guard. I've seen some people on Twitter suggest the Pistons might want to trade up to get somebody that's there. And I would say that's very unlikely unless there is some chatter that one of the guys that they want just is is gone. If you see Ball, Halliburton, and Killian Hayes all go in the top six, which is doubtful. If you see that happen then there might be something where they try to trade and get one of those other point guards because i think there is a a drop off after hayes and halliburton to the next tier of point guards so that's the trading up is is a small possibility very very small possibility i think trading down i don't think is going to happen because i think they need to if they get either one of the the main targets they've got any of those three are there that i mentioned then they would take that and be very happy with this draft. And I think there's a good chance that maybe even two of those three, so they'll have a choice between Halliburton, Hayes, and Okongwu of who they want to bring in. And if they have a choice, then it just depends on what you think the bigger need is and what you'll be able to do in free agency. So the other thing is, and this is more of an outside option, is the Pistons could consider trying to make a trade and getting two picks Maybe they, they trade for the 6-pick, or maybe they trade for the 8-pick or 9-pick, depending on how things shake out, and they could try to look at getting two of the three people that I mentioned, and, and you, if you finish this draft and you end up with a Kongwu and Halliburton or a Kongu and Hayes, you've done very well for trying to rebuild, and, and this draft, again, doesn't have the top-tier talent, but you can get two very solid players in that 6-10 to 10 range or 8-10 to 10 range that the Pistons would feel very comfortable with, I think. So you get into a whole other ball of wax with what trade assets do they have that would get them in the top 10 to get a second pick. But if you're looking at dealing Derek Rose at some point, would they deal him before the draft? It's an idea. It's something that could happen. But it's just what are you, what are you really trying to get and how do you want to plot out this restoring, as Troy Weaver calls it, in, in trying to bring in some young guys and, and start to set the foundation of what this looks like. So the other news that came out this week was the bubble two, as I'll call it. And it's not a a replication of the Orlando bubble and doing it in Chicago as was suggested previously. This is more of what the Pistons said they wanted to do. And Troy Weaver and Dwayne Casey have said is, don't even worry about getting the other eight teams into one location. Just let the teams practice in their home markets. And the NBA came out with an announcement this week that said that the Players Association and the league have agreed to j- doing just that in September and October, and they'll do daily testing there. They'll have a campus-like environment, which essentially means the for the Pistons, let's say, they'll find a hotel downtown somewhere. The players will live there during the couple of weeks of this new bubble and go between that hotel and the practice facility, so they won't be able to go home and stay uh, on a night-to-night basis. They'll go in this hotel so they can be... Kind of quarantined away from everything else and i think what the nba deserves is credit for the bubble idea and And i was skeptical in the beginning that they wouldn't be able to hold but now they have gone four weeks into this restart and no positive tests whatsoever even with people getting out and do going to funerals attending to personal matters uh, births of children coming back in the bubble and still testing negative so they've done a good job with that part of it and it's something that i think that baseball and the NFL can emulate and look at is say, hey, in order for this to work, certainly you have more players, but the model holds true that the bubble situation can work if you do daily testing and if you sequester these folks away from just going out and being able to do the daily stuff that they do. Even going home with school starting back, you're going to have kids going to school and and that's a whole different conversation of... of the germ factories that that schools already are pre-COVID, but now what that looks like. We've seen that with um, colleges that have opened early so far and what those mounting case counts. So the NBA will do that in September and October and do five on five workouts, do a little bit more team stuff. And thus far teams were limited limited to one-on-one stuff with a coach and a player. And so there's not very much skill building that you can do with that. In terms of a team concept but that will be lifted in september and october when these market-based bubbles will be open for that so there was also some discussion with adam silver in the broadcast for the draft lottery saying that december 1st didn't look like a viable restart time for the the season and that's probably going to get pushed back some of that is based in the idea that the team owners want to have fans and stands again and the longer you can push that back the more likely you are to be able to have a vaccine or to have a situation where you can at least have limited fans in the stands and it's about money it, it let's not sugarcoat it and say that it's anything else it's exactly what it is but some of that is going to impact other pieces in this if you don't know where you are in terms of the timeline october 16th was the time that they had had for the draft and now they're even saying some of those things are in question if you don't know what the financial picture looks like and basketball related income then you can't really have free agency a couple of days after the draft so can the draft be on the 16th can the free agency start on the 18th well if you're pushing the season back why do you need to rush to get all of those things started so maybe the draft is later maybe free agency is later maybe next season starts in january or later in december there's a lot of it still up in the air and a lot of it still to figure out from a financial standpoint which again is is how all this stuff operates is is looking at the cba what changes you can make with that and how the players association and ownership are going to play nice and figure out how all of this is going to work uh, and I think it, it's the right course to do is to look at the viability of it and whether teams are going to be able to do things on the schedule that they had or whether they're just going to have to push it back and, and examine a little bit. doesn't really matter as long as you get everything right, and the NBA has done well in, in everything that it's done so far, so certainly in favor of that. I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to the 24th Cheese Cakery in Various locations, the main one in Briarwood Mall, but also the Ypsilanti location, which is located near Washington Ave and Michigan Ave. Just a magnificent, magnificent event last week where they had a flavor rush, kind of introducing some new flavors. And yeah, there you're obvious playing with strawberry topping, cheesecake flavors, but these boys pulled out a tropical punch Kool Aid flavor that was. It's different, but in a good, good, good way. Just had nice samplers for us to be able to taste some different flavors. There were all the normal cheesecake flavors as well, but just a a magnificent business that they have. And I wanna thank Sean, the chef for for inviting and also Brandon and his wife, Lydia, for inviting uh, me and my family to come out and to get some cheesecake samplers, but also uh, some other goodies, some cheesecake pops. So certainly patronize and support sean and brandon in all that they're doing again briarwood mall there's another one in ipsy on washington and michigan ave and then they're going to open another one in october in madison heights so people on a little bit closer in the detroit area metro detroit area can get out and catch the one near 13 mile and john r if you want to get some good cheesecake these brothers got it on lock That's all I got for you. We'll certainly break down the draft and the draft spot for the Pistons and some more analysis of who some of the prospects are and the top prospects at that number seven position will be, again, I think it is Killian Hayes, Tyrese Halliburton, and Anyeka Okonwu. Any of those guys could be gone before then. And and even if Obi Toppin, I've seen that in some mock drafts, that Obi Toppin could drop into the Pistons' laps at seven. And if that's the case... Even though it, it kind of conflicts with the positions that Sekou Dumbuya and Blake Griffin have, then you take them and you just deal with it later. You figure it out later. But he's a, a top-tier talent offensively. Maybe even the best offensive player in this draft. And so if you get Obi Toppin at number 7, you've still done well for yourselves. But again, we'll, we'll get to that in, in coming weeks. we still got two months before we get to the draft. So I'll break that down a little bit more in the next podcast as well. Until then check out all the coverage on detroit news online and if you haven't subscribed already to our premium content please 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 do that i don't ask you to do much but it's only three bucks for the first three months you can go out and spend that on a starbucks coffee and most people haven't been getting a lot of starbucks anyway it's only three bucks for the first three months and we've put some good content in that premium area so you can go ahead and check all that stuff out until then we'll talk to you next time peace (laughs)